If you'll turn in your Bibles or follow on the screens beside me and up above, Revelation 21, 9 through 27. Revelation 21, 9 through 27. This is the word of the Lord. Then came one of the seven angels who had seven bowls full of the seven last plagues and spoke to me saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in a spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. Its radiance like a most rare jewel, like a jasper clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with 12 gates at the gates, 12 angels. And on the gates, the names of the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed. On the east three gates, on the north three gates, on the south three gates, and on the west three gates. And the wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were written the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. And the one who spoke with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city and its gates and walls. The city lies four square. Its length is the same as its width. He measured the city with his rod, 12,000 stadia. Its length and width and height are equal. He also measured its wall, 144 cubits by human measurement, which is also an angel's measurement. The wall was built of jasper, while the city was pure gold like clear glass. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with every kind of jewel. The first was jasper, the second sapphire, the third agate, the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the sixth carmelian, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth burial, the ninth topaz, the tenth Chrysophrase, the 11th Jathan, the 12th Amethyst, and the 12 gates were 12 pearls, each of the gates made of a single pearl. And the street of the city was pure gold like transparent glass. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of the Lord gives it its light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk. The kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And its gates will never be shut by day. There, have been no night, there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations. But nothing unclean will ever enter it. Nor anyone who does what is detestable or false. But only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. So ends the reading of God's word. Children ages three through kindergarten may proceed to the little landing. Good morning, faith family at the landing. What a glorious passage. Let's pray once again before we turn our attentions to it. Father in heaven, I come in Jesus' name by the power of the Spirit asking for help. Indeed, cause your glory to be shed abroad in our hearts and across the face of the earth and do so by the preaching, hearing, receiving, and obeying of your word. Your glory won't come by another means. Your glory comes where your word is heard and declared and received and loved and obeyed. Prepare us for the Lord's table. Prepare us for all that you have awaiting us the rest of this day and the days ahead. Prepare us to be faithful to our charge, to savor you in all things, to strengthen one another's hand in God, and to go to the neighbors and nations surrounding us with the good news of the gospel while there is yet time. 
Thank you for Revelation 21. Thank you for the privilege of singing these truths to you now. Show them to us right out of your word with life and with power and with authority. Instruct us by your Holy Spirit, I pray, that we would be taught of God. In Jesus' name, I pray these things. Amen. Two of the most important questions you can ask of yourself is, who is God and who am I? Who is God and who am I? I'm going to add a third question to these two most important questions of all. Who is God and who am I? And the third is, who will I become? Who will I become? We spend most of our lives pressing through to the answers to those questions. Who is God? And hence, there's so many different, not just religions, but pathways in life that are really seeking to find out who God is. So many of the path, paths of addiction, paths of sin, paths of danger and self-harm are really a pursuit to find out who God is. Who am I? Not just who am I by my ethnicity or the family I was born into, but who am I as a person? Who am I deep inside me? No one knows who they are, nor do they know who God is until they ultimately, and by grace, have come to Christ. Do you remember when Jesus was telling the story about the prodigal son? Do you remember what the prodigal son said when he was eating the food of pigs and he realized he could do better if he worked for his father back home if he would just return? Do you remember what Jesus said about that young prodigal? He came to himself. He came to himself. Have you come to yourself? It's only through the gift of God's awareness in Jesus Christ that we come to ourselves and we come to Christ. And now we see in Revelation 21, for those who have come to Christ and come to themselves, they will become something magnificent and glorious beyond all wild human imagination. I want you to turn with me real quickly back to Revelation chapter 17. Would you do that? Revelation 17. Look at verses 1 through 3. In Revelation 17, we saw very clearly the introduction of Babylon, the great prostitute. Just three quick verses. Look at them and listen as you turn back to Revelation 17. You, want, you have to see the correlation and the counterpoint between 17 and 21. 17.1, then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls and came and said to me, come, I will show you the judgment of the great prostitute who's seated on many waters. Verse 3, and he carried me away in the spirit into a wilderness, and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was full of blasphemous names, and it had seven heads on ten horns. Verse 5, and on her forehead was written a name of mystery Babylon, the great mother of prostitutes and of earth's abominations. Now, back to 21. Notice how similar and almost identical it is, and yet introduces not Babylon the prostitute, but Jerusalem the bride. Almost the same phrase and wording. Almost identical in wording. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. Rather, verse 9. Sorry, not verse 1. Verse 9. Then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues and spoke to me, saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. Not the prostitute, but the bride. And he carried me away, verse 10, in the spirit to a great high mountain, not the wilderness, but a high mountain, and showed me the holy city Jerusalem, not Babylon, the, the prostitute or great harlot, but Jerusalem, the bride coming down out of heaven from God. Verse 11, having the glory of God, its radiance like a most rare jewel, 
like a jasper, which probably referred to a diamond, clear as crystal. Here's this beautiful bride that God is introducing as his son's wife. Christ will marry the bride and Christ will receive her in love and in joy, having beautified her. And he gives her, as it were, a diamond. This jasper is actually probably referring to a diamond, clear as crystal. And yet it's exactly a counterpoint to the way Babylon was introduced in chapter 17 and ultimately met destruction by the end of chapter 19. Is the United States of America Babylon? No. Is any geopolitical nation Babylon? No. Is the United States Jerusalem, the new Jerusalem? No. Think with me. Babylon is all the people alive, having been alive and shall be alive, who reject Christ and turn from him and structure themselves in hard, cold, dead opposition to Christ throughout all time. It's a group of people called a woman, a city. Don't equate it. Don't don't reduce it by rewriting the Bible to make Babylon something small like a a 200-and-some-year-old nation that's got a cocky attitude. That's way too small. So also Jerusalem, the bride of Christ. It's the church. Babylon is the anti-church. Jerusalem is the church. The bride of Christ. Shall be, live now, have lived, and trusted Christ. At all times and all places, from all nations. That's the beautiful bride of Christ. His beloved. His Jerusalem. The holy city. So when Revelation 21 opens up, and as Larry read it to us, we see these glorious pictures of Revelation 21, the church being ex- exposed to the world, being, being invited to come out and display her beauty and glory as it is reflected in her face from her husband, Jesus Christ. Make no mistake, we're not talking here in Revelation 21 about heaven collectively. This isn't all of heaven in description here. It's a mistake often made. This is the bride in heaven. This is us in the future. This isn't a description of all the dimensions of heaven. Heaven is far larger than what we see described here. This is actually the bride, the city in heaven. This is us as we will one day be glorified. The answer to the question, who is God, He is three in one, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, sending His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, in the power of the Holy Spirit to save sinners. Who am I? I am created in His image, fallen into sin, but redeemed as I trust in Jesus Christ by the power of His salvation and living by this great grace, which from one degree of glory to another is transforming me into His image. Who will I be one day? I will be a city. I will be His bride. I will be fully glorified says the Apostle Paul, when my sanctification is complete. This bride, this beautiful bride, possesses the fullness of the glory of God. Look at verse 11. Having the glory of God, its radiance like a most rare jewel, 
like a jasper clear as crystal. This is the glory of God now resident in the bride. This is the glory of God resident in the city, the holy city. The glory of God which Satan lusted after and could never have. The glory of God which God said he will never share. Isaiah 48 verse 11 with fallen humanity. The glory of God, which Hosea says will cover the earth like the waters cover the sea. The glory of God now defining and resident in the bride, the holy city, the Jerusalem of God. We see that glory reflected from Christ back to Him in four ways in the passage Larry read chapter 21, 9 through 27. I've labeled them this way, and we'll walk through it, and you'll see these plainly and clearly as we go. And I want you to see these glories as they're revealed to us, as reflective of Christ's glory in His beloved bride. There's a foundation, there's walls, there's stones, and there's light. A foundation, walls, stones, and light. Each of these reflects uniquely something of the glory of Christ, and the way we should read this is to say, Lord, I am so thrilled and thankful that this is the trajectory on which I am on. I'm going to become this, and I'm joining with believers around the world who are on track to become this. I'm not in Babylon becoming worse and worse. I'm in the the holy Jerusalem, the bride of Christ, and I'm becoming glory by glory, more like our Savior, our husband, and God. And I'm to read, as it were, backwards. I'm to take this chapter and these insights from the foundation, the walls, the stones, and the light, and I'm going to say, Lord, how do I own them today? How do I take them into my life and become them now? How do I let the glory of God define who I am, even even change and remake who I am? I don't want to be the same person. I don't want the church to be the way it is. There's so many wonderful things about the landing, but we just can't stay the way we are. The church of Jesus Christ around the world, filled with His Spirit, knowing and loving Him, saved by the gospel, gathered into churches, having the Word, having the help of the Holy Spirit in all His fruits and gifts, is a wonderful expression of the bride of Christ, but we're so far from what we should be. Every nation must see something beautiful of Christ. And and so often there is clouding and fog and distortion and withholding and a grievous kind of hypocrisy that disconnects us from who we really are. May the seeing of who we are and shall become not just create a yearning for who we might be, but create it today. Let the Word have its full sway in our lives right now. First, the foundation. Verse 12 through 14, it had a great high wall, 12 gates, and the gates, 12 angels, and on the gates, the names of the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed. We'll talk about the walls more in a moment. Each has three gates, Verse 13 says, east, north, south, and west. Then look at verse 14. And the wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. Does that surprise you that the walls 
are named after the 12 tribes with all their gates, their 12 gates, but below the 12 tribes of Israel are the apostolic foundation. Does that surprise you? Does that seem reversed to you? Do you know why the apostolic foundations are at the bottom beneath the 12 tribes? Because everything that is happening in the Old Testament to the 12 tribes of Israel is on display and revealed with clarity and power as having been true before the 12 tribes of Israel ever existed by the apostles in the New Testament. Do you want to know how to understand the Old Testament? Read the whole New Testament, then go back and read the Old Testament. The church of Jesus Christ does not replace Israel. The church of Jesus Christ is not added to Israel. The church of Jesus Christ is Israel. Made up of believing Jews and believing Gentiles from every tribe, tongue, and nation. To make a mistake in that observation is to divide and misunderstand both the Old and the New Testament. When the Apostle Paul calls for faith, not just in the Gentiles to whom he's writing in Rome, he's calling for faith among the Jews as well. Do you remember how he said in Romans 9, why didn't the Jews receive the law and God's gifts by faith, but rather by works? He says, because the Jews did not pursue righteousness by faith, but as if it were based on works. The gospel based on works is a fiction. It's not true. As if it were based on works, Paul says in Romans 9.32. What God meant for Adam and Noah and Abraham and Moses and David and all the people of Israel to do is exactly what Christ calls for and the apostles call for in the New Testament. Trust in God by faith. That's why the apostles have the honored place of being at the foundation. So you find prophecies all through the scriptures. Here's one. I found eight or ten of them. I have time for one. I picked it up in 1 Peter chapter 1 where Peter's writing to his uh, gathered believers, both Jew and Gentile, in the first century. In verses 22 through 25, here's what Peter says. Listen to how he looks back to the Old Testament and sees it form the foundation for the New Testament. And in fact, his writing becomes the foundation beneath it all. Peter says, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. Then he quotes Isaiah. For all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is good news, the good news that was preached to you. John John in Revelation 21 is saying, in heaven, we are going to be word-formed, word-founded forever and ever and ever. The Bible will not be old or outdated or irrelevant or passe in heaven, nor is it now. It's alive and it's meant to found us and give us establishment and give us a rock-solid footing on the truth right now. So we will one day be truth people rooted on the Word of God, obeying the Bible perfectly, learning more about the glories of God that are in the Word of God as the Word of God declares its truth to us for eons of 
ages upon ages. The Word of God stands forever. Do you remember how the Apostle Paul said husbands care for wives? He said it'll be just like how Christ cared for the church. All husbands do this. All wives expect this and enjoy this because Christ is doing this right now for the church to prepare her for the day when she will be with him as his bride forever in heaven. Listen to Ephesians 5.25. Husbands, love your wives. How? As Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. How did he give himself up for her? By dying on the cross that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by what? The washing of water with the word. So that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. That's what we're seeing in Revelation 21. Christ says, oh bride, you're beautiful because I washed you with my word and you have no spot or wrinkle but your beauty is full of splendor. Let the word of God dwell in the landing richly. Let the word of God dwell in your marriage richly. Let the word of God dwell in all your conversations richly. Do not enter into any pursuit of life for which the word of God is not welcome. If it isn't welcome, smash through the doors with it. Now the walls, verses 15 through 18 we will become the foundation along with the apostles. Remember, this is the holy city. This is who we are in heaven. It's who we're becoming now, and it's who we shall be then. We will become the foundation of the apostles rooted in truth. Look at who we become in these walls. And the one spoke with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city and its gates and walls. The city lies four square, its length the same as its width. He measured the city with his rod, 12,000 stadia, its length and width, height, and are equal. So it's a cube. This isn't heaven. This is the church. A cube. 12,000, 12,000, 12,000. He also measured its wall, 144 cubits by human measurement, which is also the angel's measurement. The wall was built of jasper, again diamond, while the city was pure gold like clear glass. The measuring rod in the angel's hand means God is owning the church. Everything measured in the Bible by God is his way of saying, this is mine. I'm owning it. This is God, as it were, measuring the beauty of his son's bride as she's prepared for the wedding ceremony. In both human and angelic measurement, this is 12,000 stadia. We dare not think we're smarter than the Bible to fix it by putting it into miles. Why? Because the 12,000 means so much. The 24 elders were 12 apostles in 12 tribes. The 12 here is the fullness of the church. The thousand is the, the, the extended plenary or fullness of all the church throughout all time. Not one is missing. That's what the 12,000 means. You can't put a different number in there and still see the symbolism of the 12,000. And it's cube. 12,000 high, 12,000 wide, 12,000 deep. That's the triune glory of God. Where else is there a cube in the Bible? Where else is there a cube in the Bible? There's only one other place where there's a cube in the Bible. That's in 2 Chronicles chapter 3 where the Holy of Holies is designed as a cube. That's the only other place. The triune glory on display in the architecture of the old temple, which as you can see now was nothing other than a shadow of what heaven will be like, not of a building in heaven, but of the church. We don't just to go into the Holy of Holies. We are the Holy of Holies. 
The glory of God isn't just something we step into and say, have you tried it out? Come on through this way. Let's check it out. No, now the glory of God is in us. We are defined by God, for God. His cubed Trinitarian glory is on display in the 12,000 stadia. And it's massive. But it's still the church residing inside the infinite glories of heaven. Again, Peter says in 1 Peter 2, verse 4, as you come to him, a living stone, you're a living stone, rejected by men in the sight of God, chosen and precious. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. There's a hint in Peter's words, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. It helps us understand exactly what's going on, not only with these walls, as, as they have gates, and the gates are a massive pearl. Can you imagine a pearl of such great price that it's the size of a gate? This is symbolism to say, this is God's kingdom and, and the pearls of great price all assembled in beauty and glory. And the angels are standing up there, not to guard anybody. There's nobody to threat anymore. These walls are not for security. There's no threat coming against this great bride now. The threats are all over. But it's celebration, it's, it's glory, it's wonder and beauty. The angels are in regalia. The pearls are shining. The gold is beautiful. The walls are high and thick and deep, and they're all, and this is all cubed so that the triune glory of God is on display. And it's all not for us, it is us. I don't know if that makes your brain hurt, but it makes my brain hurt to think that this isn't just for me, this is me. This is you. Not only will you let the word of God dwell richly in you and be washed by the washing of the word so that you are beautified and prepared for the day of heaven, you will also say, I want to demonstrate in my life the perfect, cubed, holy of holies holiness to a mighty God. I want the world and my family and my friends and my enemies to see that there's a holiness in me that is no joke. I am no phony. Because of grace and because of Christ, I am what I am by the grace of God. I worked harder than all the rest of these apostles, but it wasn't me. It was the grace of God that's working in me. So that you can say there really is God working a holiness in me without which no one will see the Lord. It doesn't mean I don't have sin in my past. It means, praise God, that sin has been washed away by the blood of Christ. And I am by the same grace that cleansed me, walking in the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. The world has a right. Your kids and your parents and your schoolmates and your online interactions and your friends, even your enemies, have a right to say, if you love Christ, show me your holiness. Don't ever let our actions lie about our Savior. One day, we won't just be more holy than we are. We will be the very holy of holies. Magnificent. Then the stones. I spent the most time on this. What do they mean? What do the stones mean? What do the stones mean? 
Verse 19, the foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with every kind of jewel. So down at the bottom where we can see it, there are all these stones. There's 12 of them. Jasper, again, diamond. Sapphire. Agate, emerald. Onyx, carnelian. Chrysolite, beryl, topaz. Chrysoprase, jacinth, and amethyst. The 12 gates were 12 pearls. Each of the gates, a single pearl, and the streets of gold were transparent as glass. What do the stones mean? What do the stones mean? Let's go on a journey quick. Let me read you two passages that help us understand what the stones mean. The first is Exodus chapter 28. Aaron was to have a perfectly gold square plate on his chest. Do you remember this? Exodus 28, four square, gold plate. Now you know why it was perfectly square and it was gold. He was wearing heaven on his chest. It was supposed to keep it close to his heart. He could walk into the Holy of Holies once a year and he could make intercession for the people. Don't think what that was talking about in Exodus 28 was the end and has to be somehow recovered. Our hope isn't just that somebody will do another version of the ark encounter and do the temple. That isn't our hope. This was a shadow of heaven. Not just what you'll step into in heaven, but what you'll be in heaven. Shocking as that is. On the gold plate, square, were 12 stones. And each of those 12 stones was, was according to Exodus 28, verse 29, a way that God would mercifully remember each of the 12 tribes of Israel. Listen to verse 29. So Aaron shall bear the names of the sons of Israel in the breastpiece of judgment on his heart when he goes into the holy place to bring them to regular remembrance before the Lord. God remembers with mercy the people of Israel because Aaron obeyed and wore those 12 stones. Now you're getting a picture of why these stones are so precious and they will not just mark this Jerusalem in heaven, they'll mark us because these foundations are us. Then it gets sweeter and more clear and more intimate in Isaiah 54. The same stones are referred to. Now listen to the meaning they have. For the mountains may depart, says Isaiah, and the hills be removed. Again, here a foretaste of this picture in heaven. But my steadfast love shall not depart from you. And my covenant of peace shall not be removed, says the Lord who has compassion on you. O afflicted one, storm-tossed and not comforted, behold, I will set your stones in antimony and lay your foundations with sapphires. I will make your pinnacles of agate and your gates of carbuncles and all your walls of precious stones, all your children shall be taught by the Lord, and great shall be the peace of your children. Steadfast, hesed, God's compassionate love. That's what these stones mean. That's what they meant in Exodus and in Isaiah. That's what they mean here in Revelation 21. They don't just mean that we can be reminded as we walk around and see these stones, remember how this applies to us. We are the stones. Peter said, we're the living stones. I have to keep telling myself this. It's, it's like I'm going to a, 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 a Christian theme park and I'm going to go walk down these really big square uh, holy of holies and see stones at the bottom and say, well, those are beautiful. That's not how to apply this passage. Revelation 21 says, we're the church and this is the church. You're the stones and I'm the stone. We're the ones, precious and beloved, chosen by God. That's why Peter says it. So 1 John chapter 3, verse 2 says, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. 
No kidding. But we know that when he, Christ, appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. He is perfect love, and he says, this bride, this city, whose foundations are gospel truth from the apostles, whose walls are holiness and triune cubic glory, and and whose stones marking those walls and pearls are the very love I have. No wonder it's been Christian tradition for a, a young man to give a diamond ring to a woman he loves the way Christ loves the church. Don't throw that tradition away. And 10,000 other traditions that come right out of the Bible. If you are going to be the love of God, then today, this day, keep yourselves in the love of God. Keep yourselves in the love of God, Jude says, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. That verse just exploded in my mind this week as I was studying, like it never has before. Finally, the light. Foundation, walls, stones, now the light. Verse 22, and I saw no temple in the city. That's odd, isn't it? I saw no temple in the city. That's odd because we saw back in chapter 16 in two different verses, it's like a door opened up. John looked up into the heavens and he saw an altar. And then he saw a temple. And coming out of the temple was, was voices. It was actually the voice of Christ, if you remember from chapter 16. I'm not going to read it. I have it in my notes. But, but why is there now no temple in the city? The answer for the ground is given in the second half of verse 22. For its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. Let your mind hold on to this. As strong as as God gives you to think of these things and as stretching as it is to contemplate, we are now a building and Christ is now taking the place of a building. He's the temple in heaven that John saw. And from him comes the declaration of the wrath of God in Revelation 16. But here there is no need for a Solomonic or Herodian or Mosaic temple, now the need is only for Christ whose presence is our temple. We go to heaven and in Christ we meet God. In Christ we enjoy God. And now all the sacrifices are complete and over. Now there is no more need for any death of any animal or any savior because there's no more shame, there's no more sin, there's no more grief, There's no more sorrow. There's no more failure. There's no more fear. There's no more rebellion, profanity, or disobedience of any sort or kind. It's all done. Christ is the temple where we will freely meet God and be with God, bearing the glory of God. The city, verse 23, has no need of sun, moon, or to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it its light, and its lamp is the Lamb. The sun and the moon probably are there, but they're just not needed because the light of the glory of God is so bright in the Lamb that the Lamb enlightens everything that we are and will see. 
Verse 24, by its light, nations walk and kings of the earth bring their glory into it. All the glory that the nations and the kings have borrowed from Christ in this age, they bring into and offer as worship to Christ in the city which is to come. The gates will never be shut by day. There's nothing to protect from. There's no more enemies of God or of his people. There will be no night there. I wonder if we'll sleep like they do in Alaska in June. The nations will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations, but nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false. Those are all condemned for eternal suffering in the lake of fire. Chapter 20 has said, and elsewhere. All those there are those that God has written from before the foundation of the world in the Lamb's book of life. The 12,000 earlier in the passage and many other indications throughout the book of Revelation show that not one is missing. Not one is missing. Take heart, dear brother or sister in Christ. If you're in Christ, you'll be here in this building. You'll be the foundation. You'll be the walls. You'll be the stones. And you will enjoy basking in the light of Christ's face. You will not be missing, nor will I. The Apostle Paul told us that now we live in darkness. We see God only through a glass darkly. And we see ourselves only dimly. And we see others around us with distortion and not fully or clearly. But by faith we look to Christ. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. God has to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of His Son. And we see it in the face of Jesus Christ. Then the whole of our existence will be enlightened by the brightness of Christ's face brighter than even the sun. The gate is never shut, meaning there's nothing to fear, no suspicion, no darkness, no dishonor, no lack of trust, no cautions, no self-protections. We don't know each other very well, do we? We don't know God as well as He means to be known. We certainly don't know ourselves as well as we will one day know ourselves. And we don't know each other as well as we would like. Much of what we are as a church, much of what God's plan is for the gospel is first to reveal the brightness of the face of God in the glory of Christ by the gospel and then by the gospel show us who we are and help us to see ourselves correctly and aright so we come to ourselves and then to look at one another and say, I can't wait to get to know you better than I do and oh, I can't wait to get to know you when you're a future carbuncle or a future amethyst or a future sapphire. I have no idea what a carbuncle is. Without Christ, it's impossible to know God. Everyone who utters the name of God and doesn't mean the Lord Jesus Christ is speaking falsely. And we don't know ourselves apart from Christ. He's the only one who can reveal ourselves to us in our great need and in our great worth. 
And we don't know each other except for Christ, which is why the Bible is filled with 44 one another commands that because of Christ we might love and treasure and serve and care for one another. Foundations of the gospel truth press us back to the Word every single day. Don't go a day without meditating on the Word of God. The walls of true holiness and His cubic triune glory press us to pursue the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Pursue that today. And whatever the next step is led by your, in your life by the Holy Spirit. The precious stones are who we are, making us the chosen and precious love of God. His very love on display. Enjoy the love of God. As the Puritans would say, meditate often on the love of God. And finally, the light of the church in heaven is the light of the church today. It is the face of Christ shining brightly in the gospel. So we proclaim, we worship, we sing, we encourage and stir up in one another. A face-to-face, beautiful, intimate, sweet, warm-hearted, passionate, fiery experience of the person and the glory of Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Over my head, O Lord, are these words and verses. Beyond my knowing are the stunning realities that you have pointed to in Revelation 21 through the images and symbols, true and yet truer than true, each one. Speed the day, as many have prayed, for your son's returning to this earth in order that we might be fully completed one day, having been sanctified, having first been justified, we will fully be glorified. We will not only see your glory, we will become your glory. We will be the city in which your glory dwells. We will be the walls and foundation and stones brilliantly gleaming back to you your worth and value as you shine it upon us in the light of your glory. We come to this table, Lord, now as believers thankful that you use the word and now the feast of this bread and cup to cause us to grow from one degree of glory to another. These are precious means of grace to strengthen us in that you call us to obey And you call us to obey with sobriety and with weight so that we don't take of this table in an unworthy manner and become sick or die. So we will discern the body. We will ask you to show us who we are, having seen who you are, and to show us who we will become in you. Prepare our hearts even now for the table in Christ's name. Amen. Elders to serve, would you?